Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful week so far. Halfway through the week, a couple more days to go till the weekend. So hopefully everyone's getting ready for that. Hopefully everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. A lot to get into on the Sam Bissell Podcast today. I'm going to be talking about some big major Spider-Man No Way Home news that came out. A lot of stuff to get into about the future Spider-Man after No Way Home premieres on December 17th and the future also regarding the MCU, the Sony, and and really everything that could happen after this film comes out. I'm also going to be talking about some Star Wars news that came out in the last couple of days. I'm also going to be getting into a brand new segment that I'm going to be introducing today that kind of brings in a bunch of stuff regarding award season. It's going to be called the Award Season Roundup on the podcast. We're going to be kicking off the new Oscar season as we get the Gotham Awards, the National Board of Review Awards coming out tomorrow. So there's a lot of stuff gearing into the first round of awards to kind of get a good picture of what's going to be happening this season. But before I get into any of that, of course, I have to talk about, since it is Wednesday, we do have a brand new episode of Hawkeye. It is episode three titled Echoes. And again, when if you heard my review last week of the first two episodes, I really thought that Hawkeye was the best debut of an MCU show. I thought it was fun, exciting, vibrant, a different kind of tone than what we've seen in any of the movies and especially any of the shows that we've had so far. I really like Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop. I thought she brought incredible energy. I love the chemistry between her and Renner and this kind of tracksuit mafia. Even though they were fools, they were funny fools at the same time. We got introduced or rather teased to a new character that I'll discuss in a little bit, but there was a lot of stuff that I really did enjoy about the first two episodes and and gets me excited for what's going to be coming in this season. So with episode three, I really was interested in where this story was going to go from here. They they established a lot of really cool stuff. And for the most part, I really enjoyed this episode of Hawkeye. I thought it was a great continuation of what we got. But the first thing that I do have to talk about is the introduction of Maya Lopez, aka Echo, who is a major, major comic character within Marvel. I'm not going to get into too much of her background because I do think it is going to spoil things that could be revealed both in Hawkeye and in for the future of the character and her spinoff show that she's going to be getting in the future. But there was a lot of buildup to this character and she has so much significance. It was really going to be interesting to see how they introduced her into into Hawkeye. And again, we only got a little bit of a taste in the, the end of the second episode. We didn't see her in, in anything last week, but they really really brought it with Echo in this episode. And I got to give a huge major props to Alakwa Cox, who performs as Maya Lopez. This is her first role ever. She She's somebody who, who is dead. She's disabled. And they utilize that within the character of Echo as well. And Echo in the comics is, is depth. And this is Alaka Cox's, her grand debut. She didn't do any acting before, period. I highly recommend checking out this Hollywood Reporter piece talking about where she came from. And she was working, I believe, at a a FedEx. She was doing just a couple of jobs throughout her life. And and Marvel found her, and they really liked her interpretation of this character. And here she is. And she makes a statement and impact from the very first frame. And I think the great thing about these Disney Plus shows, especially within the MCU and, and even Star Wars as well, and just overall when it comes to to 
streaming television is that you have more time to explore characters. And I think if this if Hawkeye was a two, two and a half hour film, you wouldn't be able to explore this character. But you have the opportunity in the beginning of this episode to explore the backstory of her and really kind of give us a taste and make her feel for the character. And, and I have to give the props to the writing department as well with developing her in that I was immediately drawn to this character from the first minute. I was invested into her story. I was invested in in her journey and, and where she was going and what is leading to the inception point of her and Hawkeye and Kate Bishop kind of meeting up with one another. And I'm really curious to see how that is going to continue to develop in the next couple of episodes of the show. But great introduction to this character. Not to give anything away, this is a non-spoiler review. There are some teases at some things of what is to come. And if you know the comics, if you know the history of this character, then you realize that we could be getting something that is going to be pretty cool to see. And again, I don't want to give anything away, but they do give major hints off in this episode. But I also really liked the the action of this episode. This was directed by Burton Burtney. Reese Thomas was the director of the first two episodes. So for the first time, really, in the Disney Plus shows, we're getting multiple directors handling a show. Kate, or it was was Matt Shackman did all of WandaVision. We had we had Kate Heron doing a lot of, of Loki. We had Carrie Skoglin doing all of Falcon the Winter Soldier. So one director's really kind of taken over all the episodes of these MCU shows, but now we're getting different ones kind of giving their different takes. And Burn Birdie did a really good job, again, with the action sequences, minus some, some CGI that I thought took me out a little bit. It reminded me more of kind of network television, computer animated works that were that were going on but other than some of the CGI I thought the action there was a one shot take that was really really cool it was really kind of awesome to, to see some really cool action within this show some really good hand to hand combat sequences the action for the most part was done really really well but also what impressed me a lot were the intimate moments specifically again what you can explore in television that you can't really do in film is showcasing more of the dynamic between Kate and Clint in a way and also showcasing I think more of Clint Barton in a way of really what he is going through and the fact that I think the show is really focusing on again kind of the don't you might admire your heroes but you might not really want to meet them to kind of keep that shine of what you think of them but I think it's also dealing with what it what it means to be a hero and I think for Clint being kind of the only human person within the Avengers and the toll that it's taken on him I think they utilize that really really well the sound and the way that they play on kind of the loss of Clint hearing is done so emotionally it's it's so emotionally resident that I I think again you care for this character and you care what he's going through in ways that maybe you didn't in the movies and I think what the movies did really well that leads to the television show is showcasing how much his family means to him and the toll that being a hero has taken on him. And, and you can kind of see where that relationship with where, where Kate is going to be going, where Hawkeye is, is is always one of the most underappreciated characters in the MCU. And I think, again, to give him his own show, it's 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 really kind of, of letting the audience see that there are people that care for Hawkeye, care for Clint, and, and, and that he means something to some people. And Clint doesn't think that, but Kate represents what what a somebody can look up to that character can really kind of look like so I love I love that dynamic the, the emotional journey that Clinton seems to be going on the complex 
complexity of, of the Ronin character and how that really kind of ties in to the tracksuit mafia and to Maya Lopez. I thought that was all really, really well done and, and makes you kind of question some things about Clint in a way that I think you didn't really express that in, in Avengers Endgame or really in the first couple episodes of Hawkeye. So I think, again, this episode did exactly what it needed to do where it continued to develop the the story, the main story, the mysteries that we're going to be getting, introducing us to new characters, but also continuing to add complexities to characters that we already met in, in Kate and in, in Clint. And Kate does kind of take a little bit more of a backseat in this episode, which I didn't really mind. I'm glad that this one focused more on on Clint Barton and the journey that he's really kind of going through. I wouldn't be shocked if the next episode or, or the fifth one, the penultimate one, really kind of focused back on Kate a, a little bit since this really is kind of a a co-starring role between Renner and, and Steinfeld. But I really I really like where this episode went. I think this was a, a great follow-up to the premiere, which I really loved. And overall, I'm really, really enjoying what this show is bringing. And again, more of a down-to-earth role, a down to earth story that we haven't really experienced yet with the the Disney Plus show so far in the MCU and again the action is awesome and, and other than a little bit of CGI that was again a little questionable and not up to up to par of what we're used to seeing in the MCU even though this is a television show what we've seen in, in the visual effects in other television shows uh, that they have done so far this year I think it could have been worked on a little bit more but it just took me out for a few seconds, but I still enjoyed the ride, the the the, the story, where it's going, and uh, again, I think the last three episodes, which is kind of crazy to think we only have three episodes left, I, I'm really, really excited of the potential of where the show can go to wrap up with the final three weeks to come, but again, really enjoyed a great episode, I, I really, really dug in, I think if you're into this episode or if you're into the show before watching the third episode, I think you'll become even more invested than you are now, and I think for, for some people that were on the fence, I think this this will be an episode that helps deliver on the potential of this show moving forward. So overall, really enjoyed the third episode of Hawkeye titled Echoes. What did you guys think about the episode? If you have seen it, if you have not seen it, I hope you guys see it soon. And if you have seen it, let me know down below. Again, non-spoiler thoughts of what you thought of the episode and maybe what you think of some of the potential teases maybe that are coming down the line as well. So let me know what you think about Hawkeye episode three. So to kind of keep it within the MCU now, but but steer away from some reviews, I want to go on to some new details regarding Spider-Man No Way Home. And we're just a mere week and a half or so away from the debut of Spider-Man No Way Home. And even sooner than that, starting this Friday, Sony is going to be screening the film for critics to go see. So right away, we're going to be hearing reactions for the film soon. There's going to be press junkets that are going around this upcoming weekend. So the bowl, not the bowl, excuse me, the ball is starting to roll on this film. Tickets went on sale, which I'll talk about in just a little bit, but there was a cool article that came out on Monday in regards to the tickets going on sale for Cyber Monday, or as Tom Holland likes to say, Spider Monday, and along with the tickets, we got a lot of brand new details 
regarding the the future of Spider-Man within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Eric Davis over at Fandango had a terrific article in which he spoke to one of the producers on the project, Amy Pascal, who has a great relationship with Kevin, Kevin Feige. She was the, the executive over at Sony who really kind of spearheaded the deal, the landmark deal that got Spider-Man into the MCU back around 2014 before his debut in Captain America Civil War. So he was able to catch up with her and she gave him a treasure trove of things that I think will get fans excited for No Way Home, but also the future of what's to come in Spider-Man with the MCU and every other universe that Sony is tackling with other Marvel Spider-Man related characters. And so just in regards to No Way Home, this is what Amy Pascal had to say about the film and the scope of it and working on it. And mind you, other than a few things that have come out from Empire Magazine in the last couple of months, again, a lot of the details and the trailers, of course, there's been a lot that has been kept under wraps about this film. We really don't know, other than the villains now, of course, of really where the story is going, the general kind of plot of it. Again, we can kind of puzzle some things together, but Amy Pascal really kind of delves into some of the things that we can expect with this film and the journey that Peter's going to be going on in No Way Home. So this is what she's had to say about the film. The movie is so ambitious, and the movie has everything that people have come to expect from a Spider-Man movie. All the spectacle, all the heart, but at the same time, as expansive as it is, it's always a very intimate story that is about Peter Parker and his heart. I would say that it's the culmination of the Homecoming trilogy, of the story of Tom Holland becoming the Spider-Man that we've all been waiting for him to be. It certainly tells a story, and it does, and, and as you know from seeing the trailers, it does bring some of the characters from the earlier movies together. And yes, wrapping a bow around it sounds nice. It's about family and love and honor and sacrifice, but it's always centered around the decisions that Spider-Man has to make, right? It's always about him being torn between the moment that he's in and the destiny that's in front of him. And that's what he's dealing with in this movie in a really big way. So... Again, just from that excerpt, I think we we learn more about what this story is going to be about than really anything else. And it, it kind of takes a little bit from what we saw with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse a little bit, in, in which with the Miles Morales character, he had to learn to be Spider-Man. And that was more about anybody can wear the mask. And I don't think that's what this movie is going to be about. But it kind of relates into in a way of, of being Spider-Man, what it takes to be somebody that can take on that moniker, that that kind of kind of notion of a superhero and I think that's exactly what Tom Holland and, and this Peter Parker is going to be going through and I think it's really interesting when she talks about the Spider-Man that we all know and she specifically says that it's always about him being torn between the moment that he's in and the destiny that's in front of him and also the fact that it's about becoming the Spider-Man that we've all been waiting for him to be. So really this whole trilogy has kind of been an origin story of what we know Peter Parker to be in the comic books and he's been trying to be his own character and I think being mentored by Tony Stark, the loss of Tony Stark and in, in Far From Home and now dealing with this kind of thing on his own where he's unmasked for the whole world to see how does he handle being Peter Parker and Spider-Man with everyone knowing who he is, I think that's going to be very interesting to kind of find out. And I think also, uh, again, I think having all these villains kind of come back, 
potentially if Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire come back, it makes sense within the story. If they do come back of having certain Spider-Men come in who are more seasoned and experienced about telling him what it means to be that moniker as as the web slinger really and what it means and, and what you have to do, the sacrifices you have to make, balancing that line of being a kid and a hero. I think if those two are in it, it's it's the great thing about Marvel and what Marvel Studios does is that they do fan service, but at the same time, if they were to bring these these people back, it wouldn't just be because, look, they're back, we wanted to bring them back. It would fit the story for what they're trying to tell and the journey that Tom Holland's Peter Parker is really trying to to go on. And again, again, it's not confirmed whether Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to be in it. A lot of evidence is leading towards that potentially happening. But in the end, with all the characters that are coming back in, the craziness and the fan service that are going to be a part of this movie, I think a lot of people are losing the sense that this is still Tom Holland's story. This is still this version of Peter Parker that we're telling. And one of the things that I've loved about the trailers is not just seeing all these cool things that we could potentially get, but exploring this story of Spider-Man being unmasked and and balancing that life. I think that's such an interesting story and I love the first half of the first trailer that came out back in August where he's trying to fix that in some way and he can't do it and he has to rely on Doctor Strange to help him out and that goes completely awry. And and I really love the way that, that we could get that story moving forward with this film and potentially again in the future of Spider-Man. And, and one of the big things that was taken away from this article was the bombshell that was dropped and it's kind of been denied by Sony Pictures ever since because again Amy Pascal does not work for Sony anymore she has her own production company that she's a part of she's kind of talking independently on her own but Sony has denied this Marvel has not commented on it but Amy Pascal did tell Eric Davis that even after this where this is kind of the culmination of this trilogy there's been questions about especially once Tom Holland is done with this film and he's contracted to do one other Marvel film down the line is it is this the end of Spider-Man in the MCU? Is he just going to kind of go into the Sony-verse and, and with Sony Pictures and that's it? Or is there more stories going to be told? And Amy Pascal has said that Tom Holland is set for another trilogy within the MCU. And this is what she had to say on that fact when asked. And she kind of interrupted Eric in a way because Eric kind of did a brief question about it. And then when you look at the article, Amy Pascal wants to kind of circle back to, that, to, the, to the answer that she gave and give a little bit more detail and this is what she had to say when she wanted to interject again on this. This is not the last movie that we are going to make with Marvel. This is not the last Spider-Man movie. We are getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland and Marvel. It isn't just a part of dot dot dot. We're thinking of this as three films and we're going to go into that onto the next three. This is not the last of our MCU movies. So you're probably asking yourself, Sam, why did you say the dot, dot, dot part? The reason I wanted to say that is because it seems like Amy Pascal wanted to say something there, but refrained a little bit from really kind of giving too much and then went back into saying, this is going to be three films where we're going to go on to the next three with Tom Holland. So there could be some speculation just in that answer because she says that we're going to get ready to make the next film with Tom Holland, but she says this is not the last Spider-Man film, we're getting ready to make the next Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland. She doesn't necessarily say Peter 
Parker. She doesn't necessarily say that all these films are going to be related with Peter Parker. And, and, and this kind of contradicts but kind of corroborates what Tom Holland has been saying. He said it in a GQ article a couple of weeks ago saying, if I'm playing Spider-Man by when I'm 30 years old, I'm doing something wrong. And he said, maybe it's time for Miles Morales to take over the moniker as Spider-Man. So there's definitely some questions maybe of, of what the future of Spider-Man is going to be. Now, first off, the fact that Tom Holland is going to be in the next so-called Spider-Man film, he's going to be in the MCU, they want to still work with him, and Spider-Man in the MCU, A, it's great that we're going to get more Tom Holland, of course, and B, it's great to see that Sony and Disney are still playing nice, and I think they, after a, a rockiness in 2019, when there was a lot of uncertainty, I think they they see the gold mine that they're sitting on top of. The fact that Spider-Man Far From Home is the highest grossing Sony film. No Spider-Man film before Far From Home made over a billion dollars at the box office. Spider-Man No Way Home is arguably the most anticipated movie since Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker came out in 2019. It's going to make a lot of money, which again, we'll get into in a little bit. So for Disney and, and, and Sony, this is a great working relationship for them right now. And I think for Sony... It, it, it doesn't put all the pressure on them to make a Spider-Man film. They can focus on all these other things that they're doing, like with Venom and Mobius, and of course, what they're doing with, with, with Miles Morales and the animated side of Into the Spider-Verse. They have other things that they can work on and expand on that they don't have to worry about the main Spider-Man film. So I think they realize that this is working for everybody. And sure, the money thing will probably need to be worked out again, and, that, and that's just a part of the business. I think they realize that in the end, this is a great working relationship. And I think that was evident also in the fact that when Disney Plus had their Disney Plus Day a few days or a few weeks ago, rather, one of the shows that was announced for Marvel was an animated show titled Spider-Man Freshman Year which was surprising that we were going to get a Spider-Man animated show, but also that it was going to detail kind of the origins of Spider-Man before the events of Spider-Man Homecoming. So kind of giving us that origin story in a way, but instead of doing it in live action, we're going to get it in, in an animated form, which is, I think, really, really smart on, on the creative side of things. So we, we were going to get more Spider-Man there, and now it seems like that everything is right as rain with Sony and Disney. So I, I think the fact that we're getting that and the fact that they're all playing nice right now is a really, really good thing. The thing going forward, though, is talking about the the future of, of, of Spider-Man and where that goes. And, and I think we could potentially get a Miles Morales down the line. I think that would be in the line of thinking of where we want to go from here, because even though the Miles Morales character was animated into the Spider-Verse, it's a widely regarded popular character. In the last couple of years, Miles Morales has really kind of shot up as like a, even though Peter Parker is a standard Spider-Man, he's really kind of like the 1B below that. People love that version of Spider-Man and I think Marvel could probably see that they kind of tease it in a way with Spider-Man Homecoming when, when Donald Glover played when played Uncle Aaron and I think we could potentially get more of that in the future whether there's a, a something of a tease in this film or in the fourth Spider-Man film potentially that we're, we're going to be getting or in any other MCU film or television show, I think we could be getting something like that coming down the pipeline. And I wouldn't be shocked where, again, maybe Tom Holland does another Spider-Man film or two. 
or maybe just one more Spider-Man film, and then it kind of goes into the next generation, specifically when it comes to Miles Morales. So I think the little hesitancy there, I think it showcases that there's plans of at least having a maybe a potential new Spider-Man, a new character, but also it could mean something when talking about universes, and that maybe Spider-Man could jump between the MCU and the Sony-verse as well, where you have Venom and, and Morbius and all these, and Kraven the Hunter's gonna be coming in a few years as well, all these other characters that Sony has done successfully, because even though they're not critically received, the money has been talking for these two Venom films. We're gonna see how how, how Morbius does and, and Kraven does, but it, so far that franchise has done really well for itself the last couple of years. And of course, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse has done really well, and in talking about the, that Sony universe and how Spider-Man can be integrated in, this is what Amy Pascal had to say about all these universes together and could they potentially connect down the line. Well, there's the Marvel Universe, which is one container, and then there's the Spider-Verse movies, which are different, and then there's the un the other universe where the Sony characters are in. We are all very respectful of each other and work together to make sure that we're only being additive. I would say there's so many things that we're going to be able to explore, but what, what we always have to do before we decide who the villain is going to be and what Spidey goes up against is what is the story we're telling about? You know, what's the Peter Parker story we're telling? What's the Miles Morales story that we're telling but we always have to start with that the good thing about these movies is as big as as the canvas they take on can be they are always just stories about a kid so again kind of not really giving confirmation but showcasing that every single one of these characters are on a different are in a different space and maybe they can connect down the line but I mean you know maybe they might not down the line we, we don't really know and then she goes on to kind of talk about the multiverse as well and again this film is really going to kind of kickstart if you've seen Loki you know the multiverse is kind of explained there but this is going to be on the feature film side kind of kicking off what we're going to be seeing in films such as Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and finally showcasing what the multiverse can truly truly be on the big screen and this is what she had to say on that front I think you're going to see a lot of people exploring those worlds because it's interesting. The parallel universes make for so much interesting stories, but I don't think that every single movie is going to end up taking place in the multiverse. I think it's really exciting, and this movie certainly does. So again, when it comes to all these different universes... I think Marvel and Sony know that they can't always be integrating one another with them. It should, I think it's going to cause a lot of confusion for a lot of people. And for Marvel, this is their next big test when it comes to introducing general audience members to the multiverse. And, and the reason they've been able to be so successful over the years is the fact that they've been able to retain the comic book fan base, but also integrate a lot of general audience members into these films because they, they truly are, even though they have all these crazy ideas that take place in comic books, they're relatively simple to digest. I mean, even with Infinity War and Endgame, you have all these infinity stones and the cosmic universe and all this different stuff. It's really kind of simple, simplified down to the fact that these six stones can wipe out the universe. There's a really big bad guy that's unstoppable that wants to do it. And that's it. 
And so I think for a lot of people, they can digest that. With the multiverse, there, there's a little bit more complexity to that. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they're going to be able to explore that and whether it's going to be hopscotching around different universes where you, ha where you have to watch all these different things. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Sony is able to integrate that with the MCU as well into what Kevin Feige is doing, in which it doesn't need to be essential watching, but if you want to watch it down the line like a Venom or an Into the Spider-Verse, you might be able to do that. So it's going to be interesting to see where No Way Home goes and how it explains the multiverse and, and, and specifically for the Spider-Man character, where is that future going to be and, and is it going to be in a way where it can jump between different universes and is that the right thing to do? So I think that's going to be very interesting on the side of things when it comes to the creative decisions of where we're going to be going with, with Spider-Man. And then... Speaking of, of universes, Amy Pascal did also give a really kind of brief hint about Into the Spider-Verse 2, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2, which the first film, again, won the Academy Award for Best Feature Animated Film, and it was a, a revelation. It was one of my favorite films, probably actually... No, it was actually my second favorite film of 2018. It, I adored that movie from beginning to end. It was my favorite comic book movie of that year, though. And a lot of people have been looking forward to the second film. And, and she didn't give a lot away, but she did say that from what she's seen, it looks great and that they're going to have something for everyone to see very, very soon because it is coming out next year at the end of the year, around this time, actually, this time in 2022. So... We're somewhat right around the corner. When you look at movie calendar and, and, and you talk about months, we're, we're almost there really in terms of finally see, showcasing what we're going to be seeing with that film. So there's a lot of exciting stuff on the front of just Spider-Man alone. Even without the MCU, there's just a lot of interesting stuff within the Spidey universe in general that I think are going to get a lot of people excited. And if anything, I think from this film, the anticipation, the, the box office, the ticket sales, it, it showcases that Spidey is still supreme. And even though we have Iron Man and Captain America and Black Widow, Thor, the Guardians, Ant-Man, even though those franchises within the MCU have been successful... Spider-Man still reigns supreme above else. The popularity of the character, the fact that we could be getting a lot of stuff in this film that has never been done before is gonna is getting a lot of people interested in this. And so I think overall, this character still is the king of at least the Marvel comic book universe right now. And I think it's showcasing in the numbers, in, in the finances. And speaking of the finances though, going to the ticket sales real quick, they dropped at 12 at midnight going from Sunday to Monday. So again, for Cyber Monday or Spider Monday, as Tom Holland likes to say, it was expected that sites would probably crash and that there's going to be a very high demand for these tickets. Probably the highest, again, since the rise of Skywalker and even Avengers Endgame, where we haven't seen the sites crash like that. We haven't seen excitement for a film during the pandemic era. And this was going to probably break a lot of pandemic era records and kind of get us back to some kind of regular pre-pandemic level of hype for a blockbuster film. And right away at midnight, 
night, every single site crashed. I mean, AMC, Adam Tickets, Regal, Fandango, every single one you can imagine was just offline instantly. So it was tough for a lot of people. And before you knew it, a lot of the premium formats, those were sold out on opening day, opening night, opening weekend as well. It was a scramble. And it doesn't surprise me at this point that I think ticket sites were not ready for this. And then I do give them, I didn't give them a pass pre-pandemic, especially when Endgame came out and, and the Star Wars movies. There was a lot of history between 2015, 2019 that you had years to expect with these titles that there would be a high demand for them in order to buffer up the servers to get them ready. And even though that you probably had to get them ready for this, it's the pandemic and, and you haven't experienced anything, any any kind of high demand that was before March of 2020 in a while. You don't really know what's happening. There's a lot of uncertainty. Maybe you could have not have a crash right away, but I was expecting it to crash and wasn't surprised. I was more surprised about the fact that it crashed right away. And and I think that it is telling, as as Eric Davis reports from Fandango, who has, again, been all over this all week. He's been all over the, the Spider-Man beat, and he, and he and Fandango have done a great job overall. This is what he had to say about the tickets, and it's no surprise that it's been breaking records, at least pre-sale tickets left and right or advanced ticket sales, it's been doing that all over the place. So this is what he had to say. Spider-Man No Way Home had the biggest first day of pre-sales at Fandango since Avengers Endgame. It only took two hours for it to beak, to break the 2021 record previously held by Black Widow. Other films it topped included Avengers Infinity War and both The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. So first off, from, that, from what Eric Davis reported, some people are gonna are gonna see that and say Spider-Man No Way Home broke the Avengers game record. It's gonna it's gonna make 300 plus million dollars. It's gonna do this, that, or the other. That's gonna li- live up to those levels. No, it didn't do that. Again, it had the biggest first day pre-sales since Avengers Endgame. So it it's, it had the same kind of volume and demand as Endgame, but it did not break that film's advanced ticket sales. It did break the 2021 record by two hours. Again. In just two hours, 120 minutes, it broke that record. That's fascinating. And it also broke Infinity War, Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker. So it broke three major blockbusters that have that killed it at the box office in the back half of the last decade. So that's pretty big. And so again, it shows that people, that this is gonna be the biggest thing since the rise of Skywalker, that seats have been filling up for for hours now, for days. And and I I, I got tickets for a 3.30 show, or I was looking actually for 3.30 show t- showcase tickets. And they were sold out and, and they, they were packed brim for brim in, in the theater. And, and, and it's tough to really kind of find tickets right now. I, you, you can kind of find tickets, and, and, and I do give AMC credit for this, at least with AMC I've seen, is that they have multiple showings happening. And again, this film is really going to bring back, I think, theater uh, Monday, well, not Monday morning, but morning, excuse me, morning showings, late night showings. Is this going to have the same feeling as Avengers Endgame? I don't think so. I think this is the biggest thing that Marvel has had since Avengers Endgame in terms of the hype. 
But to me, Avengers Endgame... It's going to be years before something like that is even matched. It might not be until the next culmination of the MCU happens that we get something on that scale. I think this, again, it fits more in line with, with Infinity War and the Avengers and those kind of big blockbusters that people are looking forward to. But Avengers Endgame was a once-in-a-lifetime moment that I don't think that volume is ever going to be, again, matched for a long, long time. And I, I don't think Spider-Man No Way Home is going to do that. I do think this is going to be the first film to hit over $100 million in the pandemic record. Mind you, the fact that Black Widow made around $80 million on a day-and-date release where it had the highest advanced ticket sales in the pandemic era and No Way Home broke that in two hours, I think this film is going to hit over $100 million. Now, will it hit 200 I don't think so. I think that's still going to happen potentially sometime next year in 2022, depending on what happens with this Omicron variant and, and, and other issues with the pandemic. But I do think that we could potentially see between 120 to $150 million opening weekend. And that'll be huge. That'll be that'll get us back to pre-pandemic levels at the box office. Now, it's not going to mean it's going to consistently be like that, but it, it gives you a feeling that when a, when a film comes out, again, and if people want to see a film and it's only in theaters, they will go see the movie. And I think Spider-Man No Way Home is going to continue to prove that. It's going to be the film that showcases that an event film like No Way Home, people won't just sit around and say, you know what? I'm going to wait till it comes out on VOD. No, they're going to want to go see it in theaters to be a part of the conversation because this is going to be one of those, again, pop culture moments where people are going to be talking and they don't want to be that person that's waiting sitting around and when you hear about these details come online or, or by your friends or anything like that you want to be up to the moment talking about this stuff so i, I think it's going to make around right now conservatively I think it's going to make around $120, $150 million. Now, if we see more numbers, maybe I could creep that a little bit higher, but I'm not ready to go $200 million just yet. I'm not ready to do that unless I see the projections reach that maybe when, when, when other projections come closer to opening day. I could get around that mindset, but right now I'm still in, in, the, in the middle hundreds right now of an opening weekend. But again, still incredible. Be, it'll be the first film since Star Wars. The Rise of Skywalker to open a hundred plus opening weekend, which is again in this in this market in this day and age remarkable. So uh, again, it, it showcases that Spider Man is still supreme. Spider Man is the way to go, and it's it's going to be the film that people are going to be talking about for the end of two thousand and twenty one. And again, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting because the first screenings, the press tour is coming out. This upcoming weekend, Friday is going to be the first time we see reactions for the film. I don't believe there's a social media embargo when the screenings happen on Friday. So if there's no embargo, we'll be hearing about the film. Now, you're going to have to avoid spoilers for the next week or so. We all are for the most part unless we've seen the film. But it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But this is it. This is the event of 2021. We didn't think we would get to this point or rather the fact that we didn't think it would happen in, 2020, in December of 2021 if it would be moved or not. But it's here. And I think people are excited even with all the leaks going on with the film. 
I think people are still really pumped to see where the the, the story of Peter Parker goes from here. So it'd be very, very exciting. We're almost there, just about a week and a half or so away from the debut of Spider-Man No Way Home. What do you guys think about all these details that I talked about with Spider-Man No Way Home? From the future of of the Spider-Man character with Tom Holland to the No Way Home details to the ticket sales. What do you guys think about all this? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. Now, moving on from one highly anticipated film that's coming out in 2021 to another that'll be as of right now debuting in the summer of 2022. That, of course, I'm talking about is Jurassic World Dominion, which is kind of another big event film that is kind of the culmination of everything that came before in the Jurassic franchise. There's We're going to be having the return of the big three of Sam Neill, Lord Dern, Jeff, Go- uh, Jeff Goldblum, excuse me will be returning alongside with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. It's going to be directed once again by Jurassic World director Colin Trevorrow. And this is another one. We we don't have really any details about what the heck this film is going to be about. But now we have a, a little five-minute clip of the oh, really basically the opening of the movie. And there's not a whole lot of details that come from it, but you do see a bunch of dinosaurs. We do get kind of a look at the present day where it seems like dinosaurs are roaming around causing chaos amongst the world right now that that now that they are kind of unleashed unguarded unfenced really just kind of roam around so there's a lot of interesting stuff that could come from this film and watching the prologue the one thing that was really impressed by was the the motion capture the visual effects of the dinosaurs and again we've seen them before and and they've been more of a the, the more electronically built, the more robotic, if you know that from Steven Spielberg's time on Jurassic Park and the fact that it was kind of a mixture of practical and visual effects, this really seems like it's full-on visual effects. And it really reminds me a lot of the Planet of the Apes trilogy that came out a couple years ago, specifically War of the Planet of the Apes, where Matt Reeves and, 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 and the guys and gals over at Weta Technology felt so confident in that movie that they were able able to make the ape seem so realistic that you didn't have to rely on wide shots or medium close-ups. You could go fully close up on these characters and you didn't see an ounce of vi- uh, of, of CGI or, 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 or mocap whatsoever. It looked so real. And for me watching this, Colin Trevorrow and his, and his VFX team and the team over there feel so confident in themselves that they feel like they can do close ups on dinosaurs. They can, they can do, they, they can make hair come up on dinosaurs in a way and make them seem so realistic that you won't question them whatsoever. And to me, that shows a lot of confidence of what they're ready to showcase with this film and the dinosaurs. And they look awesome. I mean, they look so, so cool that I'm really, 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 really interested in looking forward to seeing what this film is going to be. It's not going to be my most anticipated film of the year, but it's definitely in my top five, or not my top five, but my top 10 of 2022. Again, there's been not a lot of information about this thing, but I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about it probably towards the beginning of the new year. So what do you guys think about the first preview for Jurassic World Dominion? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Now I want to move on in talking about 
moving away from the world of dinosaurs and moving to a galaxy far, far away. Specifically, I want to start out with talking about some Star Wars news in regards to the next live action installment in the Disney Plus side of things with the Book of Boba Fett. And the Book of Boba Fett, we're in December 1st now. It's only, a, it's, it's really a month away. The thing, the, the show debuts on December 29th, a week after Hawkeye ends, and it's the next installment since we've really gotten Mandalorian on, on the live action side of things. And, and there's a lot of excitement about this show, and, and, and everyone loved the, the reintroduction of Boba Fett into the world from season two of The Mandalorian, and we get Ming-Na Wen as Finnick Shaw again in this in this television show and we haven't really gotten a lot of footage from it we did get one big trailer that came out a couple weeks ago and it definitely has a a a kind of godfather kind of feel to it where it's definitely more on the criminal underworld of things than it is on per se kind of the space opera dramatization of of kind of a a western or a kind of uh, a, a buddy cop kind of film or any of that kind of stuff it feels more of like a godfather meets a western in a way that we haven't really seen before but i think a lot of people have been excited about seeing in the Star Wars universe for some time. And Tamora Morrison looks like a badass as Boba Fett. Again, Ming-Na Wen looks incredible. But other than that, we don't really know what else is going on with this story. I love the the posters that have come out. This is very much seems like it's going to be set on the sands of Tatooine. And I think for a lot of people, it might be like, oh, more Tatooine. Why, why can't we go to another planet? But I am excited in the fact that I think we're going to be seeing more of the criminal underbelly of Tatooine, which we really have not seen. So to explore different sides of that world that we haven't seen before. I think it's going to be really, really cool and and, and, and interesting. And, and you have Favreau and Filoni and Robert Rodriguez is also an executive producer on here as well. So when you have that team going on with this, um, you have my confidence in it 100%. And also, this is this is going to be consisting of seven episodes. So it's going to be, it's going to be going into January of 2022 and we'll see where it goes. But again, I'm really excited to see kind of the 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 continuation of the Boba Fett story, but also kind of the origin of, of how he escaped the Sarlacc pit from episode six and where he's been leading up to season two of Mando. So I think we're gonna get all that and and a lot more. And I'm really excited to see where the book of Boba Fett goes when it debuts on December 29th. And then we also got some news regarding Ahsoka and. That's been one that's been kind of under wraps for a while. We did get some news earlier back that Hayden Christensen, along with returning for Obi-Wan Kenobi, is going to be returning as Anakin in the Ahsoka show alongside Rosaria Dawson, who's playing the Jedi. And we also got news that we have an actress named for Sabine Wren. And we do have a brand new actress who's a little bit more on the unknown side that is set to debut alongside these group of characters and actors in this in this show. And I'm really excited for this. Obi-Wan Kenobi is still my number one most anticipated Star Wars show or really Star Wars property, period. But I really, Ahsoka is kind of number two for me. I, I really have grown to love the character. I watched all of Star Wars The Clone Wars, loved the, the maturation and development of that character. I loved her in Rebels and of course, 
course the, the final season of Clone Wars she was a badass in that and so to, and, and to see her in live action played by the great Rosaria Dawson in episode 5 of season 2 last year she killed it and I wanted more of her but I knew she was probably going to get her own show and the fact that she is going to be getting a limited series it seems like for this character is, is great and it's exciting and it seems like it's continuing if you know the Star Wars universe if you've seen Star Wars Rebels it seems like it's very much going to be acting as a kind of direct sequel continuing those storylines from that show into this television series and connecting to the other various shows that are happening like Mando and, and Boba Fett and I'm, and I wouldn't be surprised if we get a connection from Obi-Wan as well especially if Hayden's coming back I think we'll get a connection there as well so again I, to, for this show I'm really really excited Filoni's writing it seeing the way that he directed episode 5 the, the continued growth that we're seeing him go through I wouldn't be surprised if he directed an episode of the book of Boba Fett so to get more of that from him in live action is great and if he's directing this whole series like Deborah Chow is directing all of Obi-Wan Kenobi wouldn't really surprise me because he knows that character he created that character and so it wouldn't shock me if, if he directed every single episode no matter how many there are of Ahsoka so what do you guys think about the Ahsoka news the Book of Boba Fett news. Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. All right, now moving on to the awards season roundup. Now, this is kind of a last awards season. I kind of just went about making a, a bunch of topics about award season just put them in the podcast now i'm going to try to kind of collect it in a way and make it its own topic on the show that this will probably be around until february march when the oscars are announced and we get the the winners and award season ends. so for the next couple months it's going to be award season roundup and this is the first installment of that on the sam basel podcast today and we're going to start out with the first award show of this award season and that of course is the gotham awards And, and it's more of a of an indie showcase i think a lot of the contenders that are coming out now and and one such as like tick tick boom they are not really involved in this. This is very much more of like an indie spirit awards where anything exceeding $35 million is not allowed to be eligible to be nominated for a Gotham Award. So films like Passing and Green Knight, Lost Daughter and Drive My Car, all those all those movies that came out were below that threshold for the budget and they're a lot more indie-like in that way. So some of these films are going to be in the mix, but a lot of them I think still are not going to be involved with it. So to kind of kick it off right the bat right off the bat, excuse me. I'm going to focus more on the on the movie side of things right now in terms of the of the performances and really what could be something that people should look forward to and look at at being a serious contender coming from this the the Gotham Awards. So to start out with best supporting performance and by the way at least with the Gotham Awards and I think a lot some other award shows are going to be doing this starting this year they are are combining their actor and actress categories and making them one big exclusive company. So not, they're not trying to distinct between one or the other now. They're very much trying to be one whole inclusive company. So this, both acting categories contain both actor and actress. So that's really where it's coming from now. And the nominees for Outstanding Supporting Performance were 
Rebrini from Mass, Jesse Buckley and the Lost Daughter, Colin Domingo from Zola, Gabby Hoffman from Come On Come On, T- uh, Troy Coaster from Coda, Marley Maitland from Coda, and Ruth Nega in Passing. And the winner of this category was Troy Coaster for Coda. Then moving on to Outstanding, outstanding Lead Performance, the nominees were Olivia Coleman in The Daughter, you had Frankie Falson in The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain, you had Michael Grace for Wild Indian, Brittany S. Hall for Test Pattern, Oscar Isaac in The Card Counter, Taylor Page in Zola, Joaquin Phoenix in Come On, Come On, Simon Rex in Red Rocket, Lily Taylor in Paper Spiders, and Tessa Thompson in Passing. And this one actually ended up in a tie between Olivia Coleman and The Lost Daughter and Frankie Feeson. So coming in between these two categories... I do think you have to take the take Coda seriously, and I do believe that The Lost Daughter, I, I think Olivia Coleman, Joaquin Phoenix, again, coming off of a Best Actor win a couple years ago for The Joker, he's one that could be in serious consideration as well. And even Passing, I, I think Passing, Netflix has a, obviously, again, a bunch of movies that are coming out and being awards contenders this year, and Passing seems to be going under the radar for a lot of people right now. I, I really enjoyed that film, and I think that's one that definitely could be a, a surprise winner in this as well so moving on to the other categories in here moving on to best screenplay the nominees were the card counter el plinta the green knight the lost daughter passing and red rocket and the winner here was maggie gyllenhaal for writing the lost daughter and moving on to Best Breakthrough Director Award, the Bingham Ray Breakthrough Director Award. The nominees were Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Lost Daughter, Edison Oda for Nine Days, Rebecca Hall for Passing, Emma Siegelman for Shiva Baby, and Shatara Michelle Ford for Test Pattern. And the winner, once again, was first-time director Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Lost Daughter. And then moving on to Best International Feature, the nominees were Azor, Drive My Car, the Souvenir Part Two, Tatane, What We Do in What We Do, What Excuse Me, What Do We See When We Look at the Sky, and the Worst Person in the World, and the winner of this category was Drive My Car, which, again, to me. That was a little bit of of surprise. I think Tatane, it was a phenomenal film. I think that in a lot of other other categories could be the the winner. I think it's going to be nominated a lot this award season. So we'll see where that goes. But for Drive My Car, uh, major props to them in winning that. And the final two awards to round out the Gotham Awards this year, the first one being the Best Documentary Feature, and the nominees were Ascension, Fayadia, Flea, President, Summer of Soul. And the winner of that category was Flea. And in the final category this year for Best Feature, the nominees were The Green Knight, The Lost Daughter, Passing, Pig, and Test Pattern. And the winner of this category for Best Feature was The Lost Daughter from Netflix. So overall, The Lost Daughter had a fantastic night at the Gotham Awards, winning four of the awards. And again, I think films like Lost Daughter, I think films like Coda 
are going to be huge contenders at the Oscars this year. I, I think, again, there, there's a lot of other films that are going to be out there like Tick, Tick, Boom. You have films such as King Richard and Belfast and, of course, West Side Story, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I think those are going to be films that are, be, are going to be contenders that had bigger budgets and couldn't really contend with this. But really, when it comes to these early awards winners, the circle winners, which we'll, we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks as well when they're announced, they give a feeling of the temperature of the room. And because we have all these different films that are out right now, and it's about now dwindling down the true contenders. Okay, we've heard a lot of buzz that this could get awards, this could get nominated, this could be in contention, this could be in contention, that can be in contention. But what's really, what are the academy, what are the branches and voting bodies really, really looking at right now? And then now it's really kind of of, of shaping it down and cutting it down to the to the root to the root potential contenders of, of the award season. And again, I think we're going to see that happening starting tomorrow with the National Board of Review and naming their top films of 2021. And again, I think starting with something like this, I think Lost Daughter is one. Again, like I said, I think Passing could be one that's a little bit underrated. Code has been one that a lot of people have been talking about. So the ones that people have been talking about are the ones that will start to win these awards. Now, again, doesn't mean that they're going to be front runners, but it just gives again a temperature of the room for what we can expect in the coming months of of who the contenders are truly going to be so that's really it with the with the gotham awards there's another thing that i want to talk about in regards to awards contention and i think i'm going to start putting some reactions and reviews of films that are true potential oscar contenders within award season recap and i'm going to be starting it off today with talking about west side story and it's steven spielberg's remake of the beloved classical musical from 1961 and this is one that's been in the works for a long long time ever since i think 2017 i remember hearing about this movie that this is one that steven spielberg was going to make his next project and it it took a a pandemic later a couple delays they found their a group really of like of really unknown movie actors and actresses really in in, and you had angel edgord of course who's been in a lot of films but rachel zegler who plays maria is is a complete unknown this is her first major feature film she hasn't done commercials or anything really this is her first major anything ariana debeau who is a tony winner she's been on broadway a lot you you have Rita Moreno, who is a legend, coming back to the the world of West Side Story, playing Valentine, who is the widow of Doc, who was kind of the candy store owner in the original West Side Story. So there's a lot of, I think, interest and trepidatiousness about this film because it's 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 the adage, it's the old adage of never never work on something that isn't broke or, or, or don't fix something that ain't broke. And West Side Story, again, is a beloved classic. It's something that you never really want to mess with. And if you make other movies about it, it's it's not going to feel as, as magical as the original. And there's a track record for that. But the other side of this is this isn't just any Joe Schmo director that's making this movie. This is arguably, and in my view too, the GOAT. This is the Tom Brady of directors making this 
film. It's Steven Spielberg, the man who can cross over basically any genre and turn it into pure gold. And he's never done a movie musical before in his life. But if you read reviews, and it's going to come out in, in, I think, the next couple of days, the passion that this man has for West Side Story was there. So there's a little bit of a tug and pull of, okay, let's see what Steven Spielberg can do, but I'm not going to get my hopes up because of how I adore the original the original film. And so the, the, the premiere happened on Monday. And again, this is one of the last few films that have yet to be screened that I think people are looking at to see if it can shake up the landscape of the Academy Awards and specifically this award season. And it seems like it might have done just that as coming out of this screening of West Side Story, the premiere on Monday, it got rave reviews. And I think the gist of really what everyone is saying is you don't want to mess with Steven Spielberg. Or not really mess with Steven Spielberg, but you never want to doubt Steven Spielberg ever again. Whenever he makes something, you just go with it. If he's behind it, you, you, you just say it's it's going to be something and I'm going to go check it out. And, and, and if it does do well, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And for me, I have not seen the movie yet. I hope to see it soon before it premieres. But if I, if I don't, then I will definitely be seeing it on December 9th or December 10th between the Thursday previews or the first screening is on Friday, December 10th. But the thing, again, like me, is that I had confidence in this because it's Steven Spielberg. And I think that's what a lot of people came out looking at with this film. So starting out right off the gate from Variety, we're going to check out some of these reviews and see what people thought on social media. And starting off with Brett Lang over at Variety, this is what he had to say about West Side Story. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story is bold and stirring. The best parts are Tony Kushner's book and the dramatic reimagining of classic numbers such as America and Somewhere. Ansel was a bit flat, but the rest of the cast is great. It feels like an Oscar contender. And then going over to film critic Robert Daniels, who had this to say about the one and only West Side Story. Actually, real quick, I want to go back over to Brett Lang because he has a few more things that he had to say. He also had to say, it's hard to overpraise Ariana DeBose, whose Anita is the wounded soul of the film. She has the best lines, dances, and sings with so much passion that the screen can hardly contain her. The cinematography is another standout. Spielberg and longtime DP Wanze Kaminsky create some of their most striking images. Also, Kirshner's script departs notably from the original book. Gentrification and racism are the film's primary antagonists, but some things don't age as well, like the humor. Apologies to musical theater pu uh, purists. G. Officer Krupke may have been a riot in its day, but in 2021, it's pretty much a laugh-free affair. So then moving back over to Robert Daniels, who had this to say about West Side Story. A shocker. I didn't dislike Spielberg's West Side Story. It's not a patch on the original. What is? People's skin are rendered way too pale, and the VFX is jarring, but Ariana DeBose and her evocative eyes were incredible. So were Rita Moreno and Danny Alvarez. Ansel, eh. Really astounded by Ariana DeBose. Can't imagine the pressure acting alongside Rita Moreno. She doesn't She doesn't at all crumble. She's a throwback to when actors had presence and panache and could paint a scene in a million different hues just by the glance of her eyes. Then moving on over to the one and only Mike Ryan, who had this to say about West Side Story. He says, regarding the film, he says, let me just go down to his tweet real quick if I can find it. 
Here it is. Hot damn. So yes, as it turns out, Steven Spielberg knows how to make a musical, has, has, knows how to make a West Side Story movie. Then moving on over to our good friend over at Fandango, Eric Davis. This is what he had to say regarding the film. He says about the one and only West Side Story moving down over to his tweet real quick. Okay, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story is a triumph. It's beautifully and brilliantly photographed, a real love letter to New York City with a tremendous ensemble cast who truly redefined this classic story for a new generation. Shoutouts to Rachel Zegler and Ariana DeBose who crush it in this film. Honestly, I was floored by some sequences and it's, it's films like this that remind you why Spielberg is one of our greatest filmmakers ever. I just watched the 61 film and Spielberg's West Side Story is bigger, more powerful and poignant. It's a lie with color and language and it's a ton of fun. Then moving on over to someone else over at Fantango, the one and only Nikki Novak, and this is what she had to say about West Side Story. West Side Story is extraordinary. 10 more Oscars, please. Spielberg's camera work is unreal. Directors, please watch the cast. Mega talented, mega watt energy balls. Rachel Zegler is magic. Ariana DeBose may be the second Anita to win. Mike Fast, Danny Alvarez are lightning. Loved the love story. So again, this is just some of the comments coming about the West Side Story. And again, it points out that Ariana DeBose, Rita Moreno once again, could get nominated for a film she already won for in a different role. And Rachel Zegler seems like she is the true superstar that everyone was hoping that she would become. Because again, she hasn't done anything else. We've been waiting two years for this, this, this young girl to step into the role of Maria. We knew she had the voice for it, but the acting chops, we didn't know what, what she's done before. She only did high school plays. She's been cast in Shazam 2. She's been cast as Snow White. So it seemed like something was there and it seems like it's legit and that the roles that she's getting now people are seeing that a superstar is in the making with this woman and Ariana DeBose I mean just seeing what she's done in in the previews she seems like she's making Anita her own character which is great to see and and the music numbers look great I mean again it, it, you just really what this says is you don't doubt Spielberg you, you just even if you doubt the film and, and you say why are we making this I think you still go in and say you know what it's Steven Spielberg he for the most part nine times out of ten has never steered us wrong and you just go and experience it. and I think that's what people did with this film I think it shut a, really a lot of people up with with really kind of critiquing this film well you, you're going to hear critiques about the film obviously but I think in the fact that he knew what he was doing with this. And even though he never really did anything before with the movie musical, he the if you have love for something, it doesn't matter if you have experience in it or not. You will learn from people. And it seems like Spielberg and Kushner and everyone else involved really, really worked on this and did the best that they possibly could throughout. And... I think especially with the passing of the late great Steven Sondheim, I think this really means a lot more so than anything else. And, and I think they realize that. And it really seems like he put a lot of love into this film and did something that was incredible. And again, I am really, really excited 
for this movie. And just to kind of read a, a couple more real quick that I, I, want, I want to really kind of get into. This is another one over from John Rocha, and he had this to say about West Side Story. West Side Story is magnificent. Steven Spielberg has directed a gritty, inventive, and captivating new take on an all-time classic. The Latin essence burst through the seams here with Rachel Ziegler and Ariana DeBose gloriously owning the movie. Go see West Side Story, my friends. Moving over real quick, I want to talk to you about Josh Horowitz's tweet and, and what he had to say regarding West Side Story. West Side Story is my favorite Spielberg film in nearly 20 years. It is a gorgeous filmmaking in every respect. Rachel Ziegler and Ansel Edgort are amazing. The supporting cast is impeccable and Rita Moreno made me cry. So yeah, it's a classic reborn as another classic. Uh, again, just incredible, incredible stuff that continues to showcase within this this film. And even some skeptics that I know wouldn't maybe be interested in a film like this, they're into this movie. So uh, again, it, it, you're gonna probably hear more reviews come out. It, they're probably gonna be, I would say between 75, 85 on Rotten Tomatoes if I had to guess. But it, when we talk about Oscar trajectory, this was always a film that you had shaped out because it was Steven Spielberg and because it was West Side Story. And, and West Side Story in 61 won 10 Oscar awards. Rita Moreno was the first ever Latin woman or Latina ever really to win an Oscar for an acting role. It, it, there's a lot of baggage regarding that. And you, you knew that the Academy would probably look into this. And, and if they love it as much as critics have loved it, and it's Steven Spielberg, I think this could be one that changes the landscape of things to come. I mean, there, there's already kind of a set space of films that are already out that people have in their top 10 for best picture, in their top five for best actor and or best actress and best supporting actress. But they might have to make room, it seems like, for Rachel Zegler and Ariana DeBose and Rita Moreno at the same exact time as well. And, and same thing with Danny Alvarez and Mike Vice for best supporting actor. And maybe Spielberg gets another directing nomination. I mean, you never really know. I mean, the, this could really shape things up. And tonight on Wednesday, there is a the, the first screenings and premiere for Nightmare Alley, which is the first film that Guillermo del Toro has written and directed since he won the award in 2017, 2018 for The Shape of Water. So these are the films that are coming out now that could really that could really change the trajectory of the Oscars this award season. So again, there's nothing quite like award season, guys. There really, really isn't. It's it's ups and downs. There's roller coasters going in and out. And we're only in the beginning of December now. And, and the Oscars this year are a month or a month earlier than they were last year in March, but it's still gonna be an up and down roller coaster of things to expect, things that are gonna be unexpected, twists and turns. This is why the Oscar season is so, so exciting. You don't know where things are going to land. It, it truly is amazing. And we're just getting started here on the Sam Bissell podcast. What did you guys think about the West Side Story reactions? Were they something that you were interested in? Were they not? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. Again, I'm going to have that the, the awards season recap probably happening almost every single weekend leading up to the month of March because now we're going to get really into the thick of things. The critic circle is going to be coming out with stuff. Again, National Board of Review is coming out tomorrow. So whether I have a podcast on Friday or on Monday, I'll be talking about those films coming out in those award circles and what it means for the Oscars to come. But let me know what you guys think about it down below. I'd really like to know your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast today is going over kind of the films that I'm really looking forward to the most in the month of December. And again, this is going to be a big month 
to end uh, to end things on when it comes to to movies again it's amazing to see where we started out with at the beginning of this year where there was really nothing except for really wonder woman 1984 to where now we have the most highly highly anticipated spider-man no way home we have west side story we have the matrix resurrections coming out the kingsman we have so much stuff coming out it's just incredible to really kind of see and i just really want to kind of go over some films that i'm really looking forward to and, and this is kind of taking over my weekend preview because this week weekend it's really kind of a, a a calm before the storm that starts next weekend really with with west side story and then just kind of continues on from there with far from home and the matrix resurrections to kind of close out the year with but there are really some films that I'm really looking forward to this year that I really want to kind of, of talk about that I'm looking forward to. So in really kind of no order really here, these are some of the films that I think you guys should really look forward to, should keep an eye out when it comes to the month of December. The first one, of course, I was just talking about it, is West Side Story. I mean, you're hearing the reviews coming out for it now. Again, I've been looking forward to this film because of Steven Spielberg. I think he's gonna, he's going to do a fantastic job, and it seems like a lot of people are agreeing with that sentiment as well. And then coming out on December 10th in limited theaters, and then hitting Netflix on December 24th is the brand new Adam McKay film, Don't Look Up, which is obviously being talked about because of its fantastic A-list cast that on paper is probably one of the greatest cast ever put together, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance, Timothy Chalamet, Tyler Perry, Ariana Grande, Cate Blanchett. Oh, and by the way, a little-known actress named Meryl Streep is also in this film as well, just in case if you didn't know that, and she's in the film as well, and from the reviews that I've been hearing, this could be another awards contender as well. It seems like it's it's fallen in line with what Adam McKay has done with his last two films between Vice and The Big Short, so this is one that I'm really looking forward to, and, and I like what I've seen from the from the trailers so far. Another one that wasn't on my radar till a couple weeks ago when the first trailer came out, and that is for National Champions, which stars Stefan James from If Bill Street Could Talk, J.K. Simmons, Alexander Lugwood, Little Ray Howard, Tim Blake Nelson, Uzo Abduba's in this as well. And it's basically about a, a star quarterback who basically ignites a strike hours before the, the college football national championship game is set to be played and it deals with inequality and compensation and things that are actually being talked about in sports especially collegiate sports today when we just had the ncaa kind of reinstitute the basically players being able to profit off of their name and their likeness and and their popularity really so i think that's going to be an interesting film that judging from the trailers seems like one to definitely check out once it hits theaters on december 10th another one that's going to be an award season contender i think this year that's gotten some really good reviews is the new Aaron Sorkin film that he wrote and directed calling Being the Ricardos which stars Nicole Kidman as Lucia Ball, Javier Bardem, J.K. Simmons and it's about kind of a week in the life of Lucia Ball and Desi Arnaz in kind of their tumultuous time in in Hollywood in a week of rehearsing for an episode of I Love Lucy and again I'm somebody who loves Hollywood, old Hollywood movies, television. And last year, 
even though I didn't love it, I liked what Mank did. So I'm hoping with the com combination of the genius screenwriter that, that Aaron Sorkin is, combined with what seems to be like his best directing effort to date in his third directorial film, I, I think I'm really interested to see where this film could go. And you have a great cast, definitely one to check out as well. And then, of course, on some other ones on December 17th to check out, Spider-Man No Way Home. I've talked about that at length. It's the film of really the year that people are looking forward to right now. It's the film of the month that's going to be a, a huge winner for a lot of people. So that one is definitely one to check out. Then you have the new Guillermo del Toro film, Nightmare Alley. Great cast. Really love what Guillermo has been doing as a producer the last couple of years. But to finally see him back in the director's chair steering this film, it's great to see that. I'm really looking forward to that film. Another one that is in limited theaters, but it's going to be setting up on Amazon Prime at the first two weeks of 2022 is the new George Clooney directed film, The Tender Bar, which stars Ben Affleck and Ty Sheridan. And this is one that I heard a couple of months ago on talking about Academy Awards. And it might have gotten a little bit of a drop off because the buzz has kind of stopped for this movie. But I really like the trailer so far for this film. I think Ben Affleck looks awesome in the film. Seems like something that is a little bit more reserved and calm from things that he's done in the past, specifically a film like The Way Back, which he did phenomenally well in in, in 2020. And to see him kind of do a film like this, it seems like he's just kind of playing the, the laid back, chill uncle. I think that works for him. So I'm really excited to see how he works really well with another acting director in, in George Clooney. So I'm excited for that one. Matrix Resurrections, I'm a little bit more skeptical on this than I am excited. And I want to be excited for this film. I, I, I love the first film. The first film is an all-time classic but it, it, there's such a big drop-off between the, the first film and the last two movies and we don't know a whole lot about this plot which is a good thing I think it's a good thing to keep people kind of under wraps of what this film is gonna be but it seems like it's gonna be involved time traveling Yahya Abdul-Mateen is playing either like a younger or a different version of, or, or of Mobius we have Neo and Trinity back somehow especially if you know how the last film ends how are they back that's gonna be something to, to discuss but the action looks really cool I love the world building at the same time so we'll see I'm more reserved than anything else with this film because I want it to be great and I want the Matrix to be to get back to a place where people can love it and, and people do love the first film but as a whole I hope people can like this and put it on uh, on, a, on a similar level with the first Matrix film because you can't get to that level or surpass that but if you again if you can get near it I think you could have a winner here. So hopefully this one can do well too. You have The Kingsman, which finally that one's coming out, which I'm really excited about. And then you kind of end it off with The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is being directed and written by Joe Conan, who is going out for the very first time. It's going to not be the Coen brothers together for this one. It's just going to be one solo one. And it's starring Denzel Washington along for the ride, Francis McDermott's in it as well, along with Corey Hawkins and Brandon Gleeson. And it's taking on the Shakespearean play, The Tragedy of Macbeth. And it's putting it on the screen with great stars. It's black and white cinematography. It seems like it could be a perennial Oscar contender. And, and it looks good. It's been very vague with the trailers. It hasn't been anything to really sink your teeth into. But on paper, this, this seems like it could be a really, really cool one. And I'm really looking forward to it as well. But that's really the December preview this month of films that I'm really looking forward to. Is there anything that I didn't get to that you guys are looking forward to? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. But that down and out of the way, that will do it 
for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canterbury Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.